Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. See, people, I forgot that little piece. It just came to my mind. I'm so happy for it. Now, my guest today is Erin Cotman. I was introduced to her on the gram. Uh, she is an educational uh, consultant. Uh, she takes all these pictures. I don't know how she's taking all these, <laughs> these little high-gloss photos. I'm like, okay. Uh, she's doing it all, people. And so <laughs> I wanted to have her on the show to talk about her journey as an entrepreneur, the work that she's doing uh, as an educational consultant so that you may get some gems and help you better get the work done so you can make that impact in the income. So for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Erin? Yep. So hi, everyone. My name is Erin Cotman. I um, am an Atlanta-based uh, ed consultant. Um, and I, yes, you can find me on the gram. <laughs> I'm currently building that brand, but um, I'm a coach who specializes in leadership development, um, specifically with new leaders. So like years two to three, when you're just really trying to keep your head above water, uh, that's what I specialize in. All right, Atlanta people, home of black generational wealth and bad traffic. Very bad traffic. <laughs> I went there the first time, you know, maybe 20 years ago, and I am just like, why is everyone just driving like this? And I happened to come off an of off-ramp trying to get in. Now, these folks they wouldn't know, let you on there. They wouldn't let you on the highway, they, would they? They knew I had to get back. They know it. And I'm just sitting here. Then the people behind me are just like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, look, right. man, yeah. I got to get The problem it. is, the problem is, it's a lot of transplants. So you bring in New York driving, LA driving, Alabama driving, Detroit driving, and you putting it all <laughs> in the same city. It just don't work that well. No, I didn't. I was like, you know what? I'm about to, uh, I'm about to park at this hotel and just, <laughs> I'm done driving until I leave. That's how that was. Uh, so I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you would be doing when you were growing up, and how did you find yourself in K through 12 education? Yeah, so I totally thought I was going to be a journalist or a writer. I um, went to Hampton University and I majored in journalism. And then I spent um, a couple years in publishing. I worked for Black Enterprise and did a lot of freelancing for like Essence and different magazines and newspapers. And like that was my path. Um, and then life took another turn and I ended up in Atlanta and I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? And teaching had always been on my like brain. My grandfather was a principal. My brother is a school teacher. So I grew up around educators and I was just really thinking about it. And I said, well, okay, I'm kind of doing a life change right now. Let's see about teaching. Um, so I ended up joining TFA, got placed um, at a high-performing charter, national charter network, 
And 11 years later, I still there. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the, tra the, the trajectory for getting me to education. But I was definitely like a career changer or switcher, as, as you would call it. Mm. So I've had, as of late, I've had a lot of TFA folk uh, come on the show. And yeah. even I myself came to education as an outsider. What do you think gives you a certain perspective when you do come into the classroom outside of teachers who have gone through a teacher education program traditionally, right? So they've been taught, you know, this is how things are done, right? This is this is what classroom management is. This is what teaching is, this is what planning is, and this is how school's supposed to be run. And they've come through that traditional pipeline. And then you're coming in with your with your work experience outside uh, of education with your, uh, and then you're coming through the TFA program, which is going to be different from a traditional education program. And you're coming in. How do you think that actually impacted your experience your first few years in, you know, as a teacher? Yeah, I mean, so one, I think there's something to be said for people who are who are like natural teachers. I didn't know that until I got in the classroom, but honestly, I didn't have that like first year woes that a lot of teachers have. And I don't say that to be like bragging on myself. I just think I naturally like fell into like, oh, I'm good at this. This is kind of a gift that I have. Like I don't, I don't, you know, everyone can't be a teacher. So I think that was one thing I had going for me. The other thing is I knew absolutely nothing after Teach for America. Like I'm not, you know, Teach for America for me was a way in. I had no teaching experience, no creden teaching credentials. So trying to get hired was like, no lady, we're not hiring you. <laughs> so I solely looked at TFA as like, I need to get my foot in the door. So I'm going to go. And I had friends who had done it. So that's, you know, how I ended up in that, in that situation. Teach for America for me was just like a vessel. Like it, I was blessed to get placed where I was because like many high performing charters, my training was phenomenal. Um, and so that honestly had more impact on my teaching. Like what I learned about teaching was because I was placed on a teaching team with veteran teachers who were amazing. And honestly, I just copied everything they did my first year. I was like, okay, you go left, I go left. You go right, I go right. But I went into it with the concept of like, I don't know anything about anything. So I need to be soaking up all the information that I can. The other crazy silly thing that I did, but I did it, was I was in grad school immediately. So immediately I went to grad school to get an ed degree so that I could have the pedagogy uh, to support what was happening in the classroom. Um, so I always went to with like, with I don't know anything. And I was blessed to just have phenomenal coaches along the way who helped me take my natural gifts as a teacher and put the like pedagogy behind it and the strategy behind it that I was missing from not having gone the traditional route. Mm. So you're teaching and you're having a great time in the classroom, uh, wonderful experiences. And all of a sudden, or you decide it's time to create a business. You are the founder of Aaron Cotman Teacher Development. What is the story behind you creating the company? What was that conversation like with yourself when, when you had that aha moment that it was time for me to do this? 
So it wasn't that fast as you make it sound. <laughs> um, but no, really. So essentially, I um, fell in love with coaching. I would say in year five I actually, of education is when I actually started moving to instructional coaching. And I fell in love with it the same way that kids have that aha moment. I really like fed off of a teacher having an aha moment. And so um, that was when I first started coaching and learning about development and teacher development. Um, and then I had the opportunity, I had a fabulous mentor who at the time had a consulting company and she was really busy. And so one day she said, Aaron, can you take this client from me? I don't have time. Can you go do this? So like, sure. So I, I was nervous, but it was fantastic. I loved going into a new space and getting to share my, what my knowledge. I watched again that aha moment come happen. I was like, that's kind of cool. Fast forward another five years, I still didn't touch anything with it. About probably about four or five years, I didn't do anything with it. Um, and honestly, the pandemic hit. It had, and it was honestly the only time I had to sit and actually say what would this look like for Aaron to do this, right? Um, I have a child. I'm still at this point working long hours at a school. At this point, I'm an assistant principal. So that slowdown allowed me to really say, okay, what would this look like? And for me, what I realized in all of my years of interviewing people and, you know, uh, coming across people in the ed circles, a lot of people just aren't being coached, but just nothing. They're getting their required state observations and that's it. And for me, what I saw was that people felt, teachers didn't feel invested in. Um, you know, if you're at a Fortune 500 company, there's someone always talking about your development. You know, you're getting like yearly reviews and you get a bonus and you get, but for a teacher, it's very often where you may talk to, about your development maybe twice a year. And it's probably in a very formal way that doesn't feel like ongoing development. And the thing that allowed me to stay at my school 11 years was the development. I was constantly pushed. I was constantly like, "Where, Aaron, what do you want to do next? Here's how we're going to get there. Like, I felt like someone was invested in me. Mm -hmm. That's not happening in a majority of our schools. And that gap for me was why I felt people felt, was one of the reasons people felt disenfranchised with the, with the profession. Um, and so my development com company is strictly for that. Like it is for the teacher who either, is tired of waiting for someone to invest in them and is willing to put money behind themselves to invest in themselves. It's for the leader or the principal who knows that their assistant principals and deans and teacher leaders need development, but let's be real, they're in meetings all day and doing this and doing that and wanna outsource someone to come in and push their, um, their leaders. Um, for me, that was the game changer. I, the reason I've been here for as long as I have is because I always had someone who was pushing me and developing me and it made me feel like I was growing and progressing. Um, so really it was like the time for the pandemic to think about it. And then July one, I launched and it's been really great. I like was spot on with the fact of there is this void here. Um, and I've been really enjoying the opportunity to like take my coaching outside of my building and impact other schools and in turn impact other kids. Mm. So in terms of instructional coaching, I work with teachers. What is it like when you come across that teacher who is resistant, right? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, now I'm telling you, some of those times I'm going to tell you now, especially when folks are like, well, why are we here? I said, cause I got a job just like you got a job, you know? But 
really, I'm excited because I love what I do. And I want teachers to view technology as a way to expand their classroom and, and also understand that you're teaching a mobile generation of learners as a teacher. You're not teaching some old school kids that you, you know, you may have learned the way these kids, you go to a grocery store right now and see a five-year-old in, in a cart with a with iPhone or a tablet. Like these kids are very different how they interact with yep. things and consume information. It's far different. So how you teach them and how you view technology, there's a mindset behind the button pushing and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there are teachers I do come across who are resistant, right? And they don't, they don't want me there and they don't want me bothered. When you come across those teachers, how do you get them to yeah. have that mindset shift that coaching is really a betterment for them? Yeah. So I think it's about being able to know what makes people tick, like what's someone's, what, what's going to make them buy in. Um, for some people, it is, you know, they just want to be heard. Some people, it's like they want to have an active role in the coaching. They want it to be collaborative, which it should be. Um, some people, it's like, I'm really, I don't feel like you really understand what my goal is. So like, what is my goal? You know, like, let's talk about my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it's relationships. Like, what I have found is even my most resistant teacher, once I've established a relationship and a rapport with them, they're willing to do anything for me because I asked them to do it. You know, because I've sat, because they know that I'm genuinely invested in their development and growth. The other thing I make very clear is like, I can have a vision what I think you're good at and what might be good for you. But I, if you tell me, Aaron, I would like to be a, a, a lion trainer. I'm like, okay, well, let's figure out how to help you <laughs> be a lion trainer. Like, I think at the end of the day, people have to understand that coaching is somewhat life coaching in a lot of ways. A lot of my coaching conversations, there's always a segment that's about, especially young teachers. Should I move out my mama house? Should I get this car? I don't think I like this girl anymore. You know, I mean, a lot of it is, but all of that builds relationship. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is you've got to make it tangible for teachers. Teachers, especially if they've been in the game a long time, they've seen all the trends come and go. So it's like, what is the, what is, after this PD, what do I actually walk out of here with? Like, mm-hmm. is this helping me with my lesson tomorrow? Is this helping me with a parent I have to talk to next week? Is this um, helping me with grades I need to enter? Like, how does this actually help me? The other thing that we do as leaders that is part of the problem is we don't follow up. So we give a bunch of PDs and then like, we don't talk about them ever again. Like, and the teacher's like, again, you're just giving me information. There's no, it's not, we do too many things versus like, let's give PD on this. And like, this is our focus this year, you know? And we're gonna get really good at this versus 10 PDs that I'm not gonna follow up on. I might have intentions to, but School happens, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I have all the intentions to follow up. I don't follow up. I'm inadvertently sending the message to teachers that this doesn't really matter and don't take my professional development serious because it's going to be a one and done situation. Um, so you've got to create the buy-in and you've got to create the systems around to support the PD that you're giving. Less is more. I hear you. I hear you. And that's what I try to do. I remember over the summer, you know, we were doing this training and a teacher approached me during the training. What about this tool? What about that? And I said, hey, 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 no, (laughs) 
I'm not going to cover that right now. I said the district pays for these five things. And my goal is to get you comfortable with these five things where you can create your own recipe for how you're going to use these five things. Once you are there, you have mastered this. You have your recipe on how you're going to use this, how you're going to implement this, and you know this well, then we can bring in extra stuff. I said, but for right now, I'm not going to confuse you with dumping you all this other stuff when we have paid for these five things. And these five things are what they're going to actually be asking you about, not this other right. stuff. And I, they still, you know, some folks still didn't hear me because I can tell when I go into their Schoology courses and I'm like, okay, you got all this other stuff that I ain't talking about. Um, so they did, they want to do, but that's, you know, it's different. When you are consulting in, in, in your role in terms of instructional coaching, right? And how do you balance your knowledge, your, and the culture you come from, which has a f- impacted how you see things, right? With teachers who are coming from a different culture where their culture could be 180 from yours, yes. right? So where yours may be about sort of high expectations and follow through and we're going to be very systematic in how we do these these people could be coming to you from a very loosey-goosey type situation but your goal still in that role as the consultant is to again get them to be better and uh, and and the greatest way for them to do it as you mentioned earlier is they have to take ownership of it when you come across you know when you get into that room or now we've done a lot of virtual stuff and you're talking to people and it's very obvious that, okay, there's a whole new ball game going on in the end. How do you switch, how do you switch, switch that up with doing what you do, but still honoring yeah. where they're yeah. coming from? Yeah. I mean, I, that tends to be the case. Most times I am, I know and naturally I'm a fast paced person. Like my people who I coach know, like I end up kind of coaching them up to move at the pace that I need. Like as far as when we're meeting, I'm like, I got a pace that we're moving at because I want to fit all this in. And they kind of coach themselves. They get coached up to meet there. But I think it's your attitude. Like as a consultant, I need to go in like, yeah, I'm here because I'm semi an expert on this, but I'm not a real expert on everything, you know? And so you have to go in honoring people's story, honoring people's experiences, honoring um, what they bring to the table, their knowledge. Um, so I always make it clear, like I am here to help facilitate, but really my job, I'm, I'm helping you facilitate your learning, right? Like I'm, I'm guiding you in that. I am not the end all be all. I don't know everything. Um, and I also want people to like, I like people for people to set an intention of what they would like to get out of the session that day. I obviously can have objectives and goals, right? But given that people are in different spaces, I always say, you know, I want you to think about what goal, what intention, do, what, what do you want to get out of today's session, right? Because I, the bulk of the sessions that I do are not one and done sessions. They build upon each other and they require reflection after and they require you to kind of sit with it and revisit it. And they're very kind of like adaptive, soft skill stuff when you get into leadership. So that's very personal to someone. So I push people to set their own intention for what they hope to get out of a particular session. 
Um, I also just set my mindset of like, I just really enjoy meeting new people. And I feel like everyone has a gem to, to offer. Um, so really it's about my mindset going in. Um, I also am very particular about, I understand that coming from a charter network, there's a lot of perceptions out there. So I'm also very clear to bring like, what I'm bringing from you, like, yes, that has shaped my experience, but that's not Aaron's uh, mode, you know? So like Aaron is bringing her expertise that is shaped from a variety of, of um, experiences, especially now that I've been consulting more too. Um, I'm not imposing a charter, you know, mindset in this session. I am bringing Aaron's best practices uh, to this session. Um, so I try and create a clear line with that so that people, you know, don't tune me out in the first 10 minutes of who's Aaron slide, you know? So going to the gram and to yes. your website, right? I can see that you're obviously passionate about students of color. Yes. Earlier, you mentioned how you had the time during the pandemic to really think about what am I going to to do with with this knowledge um when you were deciding on how to make this business a reality right because now you had the experience working you know at in black enterprise so you you've had it you you had that experience of learning what business you know looks like and, and come in contact with people and this is something where the average you know, teacher, unless they're teaching business or had a previous life as a business owner or had that experience or that connection with a family member, most of us don't come into this knowing anything about setting up a business beyond maybe what you've heard of, okay, register with the state. How did you decide on how the structure of your business was going to be like and how did you go from sort of idea to actual launch yeah um so i think first of all i had i knew some other entrepreneurs um i went to i don't know if you're familiar with dr sean woodley teach hustle inspire um, but he and I went to college together, um, and, you know, just from being on, you know, social, I was, you know, watched a couple people. And then my mentor had a consulting company at one time. And so I had people I could ask around, you know, of like, what do you think is the best way? How do you think I should do this? And also I kind of had to just convince myself to just do it. Like I was kept waiting for this like perfect time, this perfect product, this perfect thought out plan. And if in all actuality, that has shifted a ton um, since what I thought I originally was going to do. And then it's kind of naturally taken its uh, own form. So like originally I was going to just strictly do like, you know, traditional school PD. And then over time, it shifted to like, actually leadership coaching is really more your jam, you know? <laughs> um, or I wanted to have a, um, I was gonna do a cohort. It's, I mean, I was, I was gonna do individual coaching at one time. 
And even that shifted to more of a cohort experience, you know, but like I had other uh, entrepreneurs. I have a very good friend who's a product management coach, mm-hmm. not at all, you know, in our same wheelhouse, similar, but not the same, but she went from a full-time gig to doing that. And she like helped me build my website, helped, told me like, you don't want to do individual coaching here. And that's going to take all of your time. You need to try and do a cohort, you know, like, so it's really like leaning upon your village of people, you know, but also just understanding it's going to change what you, even now, what I, what I'm thinking about working on next, I'm like, okay, that's different than what maybe a month ago I thought was a next step, you know? So it's just about like not waiting until you have that perfect thing but just getting out there, start building your brand, start building the um, the name behind you. Because I had, the other thing too, is I invested in myself. I knew there were certain things I did not know. Like prior to a business, like, yeah, I would post random things on Instagram, but I wasn't a huge Instagram person. I didn't know nothing about a hashtag or any of that, right? But I had to invest in myself. I hired a coach. So you laugh about my, <laughs> they funded my little pictures, but... I have, but she was a coach. She's literally a branding coach. Like she taught me, what is it that you want to do? What do you want? When someone says Aaron Cotman, what are they going to think of? What are they going to know? Because she was real. She said, once you have a brand and you're trusted and you put in the work to be a trusted brand, you can decide to sell teacher socks all day. And people are going to buy them because they trust, (laughs) you know, that Erin is a reputable brand. She knows what she's talking about. She has value. Mm-hmm. Um, so I invested in myself. It was scary to pay her a lot of money every month for six months. But how can I expect someone to pay me to come into their school and teach if I'm not willing to pay, my, to pay somebody else to teach me how to do this whole thing, if I'm not willing to invest in myself? Um, so it was about investing myself and it was about just getting away from the perfect product or the perfect brand or the perfect PD and just getting out there. You can mold it as you go along. You don't have to wait. People always get scared to launch because they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And sometimes you just got to go. Because mm. at the end of the day, if you're walking in alignment with like your purpose and you're feeling a need, you're going to be fine. So how do you know an attractive opportunity, right? Because in the beginning, you can get caught up in, I just need to make a money. Right? Anything, I, just need, I need right, close right. invoices. I'm working with any school district, any organization, anybody that got a check for me, I'm doing it. Now, one, you don't want to do that because that will mess with your brand and that'll take up too much of your time. But at some point, you know, you have to figure out, okay, as you mentioned earlier, you said, I work with new teachers within that two to three year gap. What makes an opportunity attractive to to you? Because there are going to be some school districts may, who will still have teachers in, in, in that area, right? But that might not be the school, the type of school yeah. you want to work with. So yeah, I always do, do my research. Uh-huh. I always do my research. So if you reach out to me, I'm on your Instagram. I'm on your school's Instagram. I'm on your page. I'm on your district page. I'm looking, right? Um. I also refer them directly to my social and my website. I want you to be very clear on who I am. I want you to be very clear where I'm going to show up looking like. I want you to be very clear on what I believe. I want you to be like very clear. That's why I also try and make sure that all of my branding is authentic to me. 
Um, because I want you to be very clear, like the type of, like, I'm a very fun, like I'm going, we're going to have a good time in my PDs and I want you to see that. I don't want you to Mm -hmm. think I'm coming in there stuffy because I'm not, (laughs) you know, I'll be professional, but I'm not going to be stuffy. Um, so that's one thing. Like I, I very much am like, go look at this and you make sure, you know, this is who you want to come coach your, your leaders. Um, so that's one for me. Um, the other is like long-term. If you are just want, I prefer to work with clients over time. I think that the bang, like you get more growth out of it. Yeah, if you want me to come and do APD, like, okay, I can, right? But I'm looking for partnerships. I'm looking for with people who are like, no, I recognize that growth is not gonna be a flash in the pan and I need to invest, you know, six to nine months with this person growing my leaders or growing my teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's more valuable than when you have, if it's a niche, something fine, when you have like an individual come in, but when you're talking about development, like that's development, it has to happen over time. Um, So I prefer partnerships versus just individual clients. Um, And also like, I'm all in your website. Like I want to very, I want to know what you think about diversity and inclusion. I want to know, you know, I'm looking at your staff demographic, you know, that doesn't mean that. I'm not going to, that would turn you down necessarily. But like, for instance, if you're in Atlanta and I'm looking at your website and you don't have but two teachers of color, I'm confused. <laughs> you know, like, it's happening here because you're, you know, this is Atlanta, like there's zero problem. I'm confused. <laughs> Look, yes. I, you know, so I do a lot of my own individual research because, you know, like all money ain't good money, you know? And I don't want mm. my, I don't want to put anybody on my website as a partner that I later have to like, snatch them back off the off the website um so i think it's just important to also like get a good feel for the leaders because they reflect a lot of the attitudes in their building so like if i get on the phone with you and it's very clear to me that you don't value coaching there's really nothing for us to have a conversation about because i don't not having the time or capacity to coach is different than i don't really see the value so like, if you're bringing me in to just like check a box of like, well, they say they want to be coached and I don't, you know, I mean, I don't really, I, that's, we're probably not going to work out, <laughs> but if you just are like, I am strapped, I don't have the capacity, I don't know, but I know, I know, I know I need coaching in this building, then like sign me up all that. So I, I'm about mindsets too, of where I'm going, where I'm going to put my energy into. Mm. So earlier you mentioned how you had relationships with people that set you up on learning the game of business. We're living in this age of the internet guru. I mean, you can go, whether it be Instagram or you go on on YouTube, (laughs) your clubhouse. There's so many people who are talking about starting a business and not all of these people got receipts. Right. So how, does an educator, entrepreneur, an, entre- an entrepreneur figure out which voices to trust? Yeah, I think that's real. I think that's, um, that's really, really real. I think so. One, I think it's about um, consistency. So the entrepreneurs that I'm really interested in that I follow and support are people who are consistently in the space. You know, like they're consistently showing up, they're consistently providing content and not always content that they're asking you to pay for either. You know, um, they are um, also 
both sides of the coin. Like I appreciate a person who's being giving a real perspective. Like even like, you know, I did a post the other day about school, school reentry. And it's like, my job at this point is telling me I have to, like my job as a leader is to go back to work. That's that in the physically in the building. That's my job. But my post was about, but I'm also not going to be a cheerleader about it. I'm not going to make people feel like their feelings are invalid or that they are, you know, being dramatic, you know, or that, that they haven't suffered maybe some sort of trauma or PTSD over the last year. So like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do it safely, but I'm also not going to do cartwheels and be like, come on, everybody. Like, that's not, that's not what I'm going to do. So I also look for uh, entrepreneurs who can provide a real balance of like, this is the actual struggle that is happening, you know, at the current time. Um, I also um, think it's important, you know, like do your research, like the ad world is small. You know, like people know people, you know, you can ask, hey, you know, you know, ask for references, ask for, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that. Someone asked me, hey, can you give me some clients that you work with? Sure, here they are, you know? Um, and I also think too, if you're an entrepreneur who's starting out, don't let that discourage you. Don't feel like, well, I'm, I don't have any clients yet. So if some, you know, if somebody asks, they, you know, that don't let that discourage you because you got to start somewhere. Um, and also too, I think you got to start with, with who to trust, start with these little small workshops. A lot of entrepreneurs are offering, you know, little workshops that are $20, $25. It's not a large investment for you. Go and see, check it out. See, go pay your $25, show up on Zoom and see what they're talking about. Because then you'll get, you'll know real quick, are you just a person who can post nice things on Instagram? Or are you a person who actually has some, some uh, weight behind your name and knows what you're talking about? Um, and then also find your entrepreneur community that like fits for you, right? Because there's some teachers who just want to talk about teachers pay teachers. And I just want to see like the pretty kindergarten stuff and the things and, you know, but then there's a lane of people who want to talk about anti-racist education and culture relevant pedagogy, like find your lane, right? Like, and that's kind of where you can kind of stick in for like where you kind of get your, your gems from. Mm, that was great advice. I like that. So I want to dive deeper into your your coaching programs that yes. you you that you work uh, with teachers and school leaders because the one thing that I hope everyone who listens to my podcast understands that you need to have a a real program right you need mm -hmm. to have a real system right even though I can show up to a school district tomorrow and do an eight hour training if they need, or if they say, look, I need you for four weeks, I got them. But that has, be, that has happened because I have been able to, with my experience with Schoology and, and teaching online and those things, mm -hmm. develop a system in which how I, this is what I do. So I can do it, but other people, sometimes you get caught up in the one-off. Yeah. So I, I'm doing this one webinar here, this one day here, this one thing there, and you don't have a real system, right? You have an appetizer, <laughs> but you, you know, all right? But you ain't got the meal and the dessert. You ain't got it all complete yet. Right. How did you start developing your coaching practice? Like what went into you creating your resources, the, the, the dialogue that you use when you are speaking to your cohorts? 
um, and the action plans that you give them? How, do, how did all of that come to come to fruition? Yeah, so I think first thing I really just thought about what coaches I've had the beauty of working with that were effective for me. And like, what about each of them did I enjoy, right? So like my favorite one, she just was so, so loving, but so, I mean, I remember one year I had phenomenal state testing scores and I was so excited. I'm running down the hall, I'm like, guess what? And she was like, that's great. What about the 3% that you missed? I was like, you know, know, but she celebrated me, but she also was like, okay, Anne, you know, she made me get my ed leadership certification. She's probably gonna make me get my doctorate, you know, but like she lovingly pushed me to be like, to see something in me before I could see it in myself. So like, I would take tidbits. I had another coach who just made practice so fun, you know? I'm, I tell people, people who know me, know me, know I'm a fool. Like, I just am silly. I like to find the fun in some, in everything. And, but I did not like having to physically practice. I just was like, this is weird, uncomfortable, but it helps and works. But she made practice fun. If I was going to pretend de- delivering my intro new material, she made it fun. So I just would take all of the tidbits of coaches that I've had over the years and like, one, like, that's like, okay. And then I also was very clear in my own brand. And it's like, okay, what's Aaron's brand as a coach? How do I take pieces that I love about other coaches and make, make it my own? The other thing was being really clear on the outcomes that I wanted. I wanted outcomes of a leader who was very strong in adaptive and technical skills. And when I say that, I mean that there are parts of your job that you can do very easily, right? And te- a lot of times the leader, they're the technical side. It's like, and it's the part that like gets you the job, right? So it's like, yes, I know how to give lesson plan feedback, check. I know how to, you know, check grade books, check. I know how to hold a data meeting. I know how to analyze it. Like all the technical things of your job, what leaders typically struggle with is, especially new leaders are the adaptive skills. Those are things that people don't coach. So no one's telling you like, hey, word choice matters, body language matters, tone matters. Um, the small moves, like in the morning, don't go to your office, take a lap around your building, say good morning, ask about people's children, ask about their husband, like the small moves that really matter that make you from a manager to a leader, a lot of times those don't get coached. So I knew that, that and that for me was something until much later in my leadership journey, because I felt like, well, I have the relationships with people, like I'm doing my job, but like, why am I having to pull teeth for certain things? Why am I getting pushback? It's like, well, because you're not being mindful of like how you're perceived, you know? (laughs) But yeah, people know that you bust your butt and you work hard, but like, what else are they thinking behind that, you know? So I knew that one of my outcomes was that any leader who worked for me was going to have a very strong grasp of adaptive and technical skills. Um, And so that was kind of how I developed my cohort experience was is a balance of both. Um, because that is what helps you to stay in the game is to have those adaptive skills because I'm, you know, not to say it lightly, but you, there's a lot of people who can coach, but like that doesn't make them a leader. Yeah. And then you get in a coaching position and suddenly you're the principal and you're struggling because you have no soft skills. You have no adaptive skills. You are completely unaware of that, of that part of leadership and how hard it is, you know? So that was my outcomes. And then everything in my program is literally like, you're going to get a good balance of, of adaptive skills and a good balance of technical skills. 
It is meant to be reflective. That's also why I like a cohort experience because there's power in like discussion and reflection and feedback with one another um, because it's really like meta stuff to be thinking about like, what does it mean for me to choose to say this word versus that word? Or what am I gonna do in a situation where I disagree with a district's policy, but yet as the principal, I have to stand up here and deliver it. My word choice matters, my body language matters. I need to practice that conversation. I need to think about what I'm, you know, like all of those things. So it really came from a a deficit I realized I had in some of my adaptive leadership skills. And I said, okay, any leadership program that I'm running is gonna include that. And that's gonna be kind of the standout feature is I'm not gonna teach you, I'll I'll teach you how to do an analyze data and lead a data meeting or lesson planning clinic. But I'm also gonna teach you how uh, the power of leadership storytelling and the different leader stories that you need to have in your bag ready to pull out at any moment to invest your staff. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the story behind my, my cohort and my coaching structure and experience mm. that I provide. I'm still learning some of that stuff because when March came and everyone across the country and around the world all of a sudden was like, we're going online. It got to a point to where March, April rolled around and I still had teachers asking me, how do I log into this site? <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. And <laughs> I was, because I was like, look, I am already dealing with this, this whole district trying to get everybody moving in the same direction in terms of teaching online yeah. and this stuff. Now you're hitting me up asking me about logins because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what were you doing before the pandemic hit? They weren't logging in. Right. <laughs> and now you come in now. Right. And so I literally, there were, I had to pray and I had to step back because yeah. I, you know, I couldn't speak from my heart. You know, I couldn't speak yeah. from my heart. Now I did have conversation with my with my supervisor, and then I said, like, "I apologize." She said, "No, no, you just had to get it off your chest." I'm here. Yeah, it's get it out. Uh, but it was like I'm I'm still growing in that when I have people asking me stuff because I'm like, "What have you been doing?" Because <laughs> you know, because for me, I'm always thinking of the big picture. I'm always thinking about how can we scale what we're doing? And when I run into these, these things, I'm like, what, what, huh? Because even when I'm, when I'm teaching teachers, okay, this is, we're going to design our courses this way. And we're going to run our lesson line this way. We're going to do this. It ain't me trying to dictate your world to you. Cause I even tell teachers like, listen, how you create your recipe, that is entirely up to you. But we need a certain type of organization and this thing, this lesson now needs, needs to flow. And I do it in the same way the content specialists talk to them about the lesson line. Because yeah. if you leave and I got to plug in another teacher into your course, that teacher needs to look at what you've been doing, understand what you've been doing, and then I can move, help that teacher move forward. If I plug that teacher in 
and we're sitting down looking at your course and we're like, what is this? And we don't understand what's going on. That's a problem. And to me, what I see with a lot of school systems is that they don't think of themselves as uh, learning organizations or talent organizations the same way a corporate company would. Right. And that causes you problems on the professional learning level because people are not being uh, developed at a certain level. And when you have turnover, you're starting from scratch. Instead and we of all, like, we all know what a headache that is. That is. And, and it's as expensive a, financially. <laughs> yes, it is. It's start kids. I mean, woof, they're not, it's, they're not getting the best of the best in front of them. And then, you know, that's a lot of lift on your leadership team to hopefully is coaching them to start back at. It's a, it, like, that was the, one of my other main reasons was retention, you know, like I can't tell you how many teachers I've watched over the years leave, not because they were unhappy, but they didn't see a path for growth for them at the building. It was like, you know, I've been doing this. I want to do this, but I don't see a path. And really there's not much development happening here besides PD, but I want the growth. I want teacher development. I want leader development, not your PD on Nearpod. You know, like it's helpful, but I'm not equating that as an investment into me specifically. It's not differentiated from my development, my goals. Um, and so people leave. Yeah, it's, 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 hey, I mean, we have a middle school that have, they're doing amazing things because they are actually planning out courses together. And so when a new teacher comes in, I just plug them into this resource network in Schoology mm. where that new teacher comes in and there's already years of material for their courses right there. Mm. And they can sit down and talk to other people on the team about, okay, well, how have you been using this? And they're not, again, building coursework from scratch. They can look at it and go, I like this. I like that. I'm going to pull this in. I like how they started this, but I can uh, make changes to it to do what I want to do with it. And that has, to me, been amazing to see happen versus other stuff that I, you know, I come, I encounter and I'm like, we got to do better. And it's not because I'm trying to push this down your throat. It's because again, I'm thinking big picture of how can we become an agile learning organization to where this thing keeps moving. We're able to, to scale and teachers can become confident and excel in this new online in, in environment. Uh, I know some teachers are like, I want to go back face to face. I want to do this. I want to do that. And sometimes that, well, I'm going to say sometimes that upsets me. Not that I don't want people to be in the building, though I do. I enjoy working from home. But we know from looking at national test scores, black and brown kids around 40% in the math and in, in uh, English. Your kids were not doing well when they sat in your face. Right. 
So you can't blame the online environment for. Well, and it's like going back doesn't mean that you forget about technology. You know, like <laughs> you still need the skills that are being still need to know these programs you still need to utilize them because they still like you're not teaching in 1952 yes well that's that's a whole that's that's (laughs) one of my struggles that's one of my struggles uh and working uh with teachers and you know again there you know there, there are great teachers I work with in the school district uh we have great leadership at the superintendent level who understands what this is all about and uh, I have a great time. It, it's just that there are certain teachers that, you know, I do have to take a little break from because, <laughs> yeah. you know, they... Well, I mean, that also is a mindset thing too, yeah. right? So like, that's when, you know, there should be coaching around mindset and like, is this the right place for you? I, I, I just very much believe school leaders should have kind of a no, no nonsense, like, you should not apologize for what you believe and what your school believes and what your school values. Like mm. this is just might not be the train for you. Like if, if we value technology, I'm not saying you have to be a wizard, but I need you to like try and like be about infusing some technology and trying new things. Like I recently talked to a leader and I loved her perspective of like, they love, they want entrepreneurial thinkers in their classrooms wow. with this idea of like, you think outside of the box, you have a different level of drive, you have, you know, you're willing to fail and try a couple other options, you know, it, you know, like that sort of mindset. So it's like being really clear about who do you want in your building? Cause I don't want nobody that I have to go back and forth about using tech, about trying to use some technology for kids in 2021. I don't, <laughs> you know? And like being really clear, like and this just might not be the bus for you, but I know several other buses around the corner. I hear you. Those buses shouldn't exist either, but I hear you. They shouldn't, but like, <laughs> I can't do nothing about that, but I can do about what's involved in right here in this building. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So <laughs> when you, wow, I'm just like, this is conversation I love. Well, I love what you've shared. What were some of your initial hurdle, hurdles that you encountered when you actually launched your business, right? You're, you're open and now you're like, okay, where are my clients? Or you have a couple of clients and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, this is going, this is going. How did you overcome them? I mean, I, I think my biggest hurdle to begin was myself. You know, like being being real, you know, I think when you, especially if you never started a business before, you're just doubting a lot of things. Like I, especially, I think too, when you look, that entrepreneur space is, is kind of full. <laughs> a lot of people in that space. A lot of people, doing, a lot of people, you know, who, oh, I'm going to leave the classroom. I'm leaving the school. I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a consultant, you know, like. So I got a lot of that. So when people were like, oh, you're, con- oh, you're consulting too. I got like a lot of that in the beginning. Um, so I had to like one, get over myself and kind of talk, let, stop talking myself out of um, what I was doing and like understanding sometimes you're not going to get a client for the first six months, but you got to like, you have to remember you're building a brand, you know? So 
you got to just keep being consistent, keep starting. Um, so myself was, I, I would say, you know, that first piece of like, am I an expert? Like, do I really know what I'm talking about? Should I, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of that in the beginning. And then when I got my first client, I got my first client probably five months. No, I got a client pretty early, but it was like an individual client. I got my first school contract about five months in. And then the learning curve really became like, how am I going to balance this? Because I'm still working a full-time job as an assistant principal. Still got a kid to take care of, you know, life. And now I have a whole nother, you know, contract with a school district for uh, bi-monthly leadership coaching. And I'm like, ooh, okay. So then I'm a pretty organized person, but I had to really, but I'm also doing this in the way of like living at home, right? So, I mean, being at, working at home. So I, I always say I've, I do pretty well in chaos. Like I actually feel like I'm on my game when I have too many things on my calendar. Um, but like now I'm like, I'm working at home, doing my assistant principal thing. The TV's right there. I can go upstairs and go to bed, you know, <laughs> there's snacks, like there's the distraction. So not only am I learning how to work at home, but now I'm learning how to work at home and have two jobs a lot, you know? So the other hurdle was just learning how to give, how to, uh, divide my time. So I had to have very clear, this is my nine to five hours. And then these are my hours that I'm going to work on one, still continue to build my brand. So I still have to, I'm still working on the flyers and the Instagram and the, you know, the lives and all the things that could, so I can continue to get more clients. And then also I've got to fit in the work that I've actually agreed to do with this client. So being really clear about what time is when, uh, and then fitting in family time was really important to me. So I just had to get super organized, but that was a hurdle, like learning how to, it's like, I want to do all these things and I enjoy all these things, but there's only 24 hours in a day. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to do this and not burn myself out? How am I going to do this so that it remains enjoyable for myself, right? And not a, not a headache. Um, so that was a big hurdle too, which is time, time to do it all. Mm-hmm. So when you're unsure about what to do next in your business, what is your process for making that decision? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I have kind of like a trusted circle of advisors (laughs) and I just kind of throw things up at the wall, you know, like, Hey, I'm thinking about maybe doing another workshop. I'm thinking about, we actually run that same workshop. I just did back. I'm thinking about that. What do you guys think? Um, I also look at the time of year, like right now for teachers is a busy time of year. It's about to be April. Unfortunately, most we're doing state testing. There's, you know, you're tired trying to get in the year. There's people are in different spaces with re-entry, like, maybe not the best time to try and get people to join a cohort, you know, <laughs> like people might be like, ah, uh-uh, you know, so I look at like the skate, the, the scope of the land at the time. Um, and I also look at like angle, right? So like, what am I trying to actually do? Like, what is the goal? Because, you know, if I want to have a, a teacher hoodie line, I can do that. Everybody has that, you know, but like, what it, I can't just be out here selling stuff to sell stuff, or I can't just, you know, like stay in your lane of what it is that you want to do. And like, everything should connect back to that. I think you get out here and it gets really easy to watch and see certain things that people are doing. You're like, Oh, I can do that. It's like, yeah, but like, is that, is that authentic to what you're trying to go to? It does that make sense? So it's about like, for me, time energy is a big thing. Like if it's something I've already got, and I just need to tweak a few things. Cool. I'm starting from scratch. I'm like, okay, 
is now the right time for me to start something from scratch? Mm -hmm. Given I have this client, this client, this client, you know, like, is, does that make sense? Um, it's about pacing yourself. Like, I think it's really easy to like go head first into this thing, but kind of like what I said earlier, I'd rather have three offerings that I do exceptionally well that no one can do like I do than have 15 that I like kind of, I like, they're okay, they're good, but they're not like an Aaron signature thing, you know, like they can get that from anybody. I hear you, I hear you. And you mentioned something earlier and, and, and this is something where you can get caught up on Twitter or the gram seeing what other people are doing, right? So you see them here, you see them there, you're seeing this. How do you zone out that noise so that you are not tempted? Because you just mentioned by everybody, you know, everybody got these, these t-shirts, these hoodies, these cups and all this stuff going on. And you're like, uh-uh, that, that's, not, that's not going to help me out. I'm, that's not going to add to what I'm trying to do. When you're seeing all of this going on outside of the, the apparel stuff, but you see them, maybe they're doing this conference or they're doing this or they're doing that, or they're being asked to speak on this clubhouse event or they're doing all this stuff. And there might be a fear of what? Okay, well, my well, my name didn't come up into this or what have you. How do you make sure that you stay on your grind and don't get sort of don't have that fear of missing out or not get blindsided by everything that you're seeing? Water your own grass. Mm. You know, water your own grass. Like, stay be in your thing. I also think like I had to realize like I think in the beginning I did have that a little bit, but I also the other thing I did was I just support it. Like when you support other people, that does not take away from what you're doing. And people appreciate that. And you, I mean, I feel like just karmically you get that back. So it doesn't take anything for me to repost your event on my Instagram. It takes nothing for me to do that. It takes nothing for me to comment on your post. It takes nothing for me to tap into your live and see what you're talking about. Like people notice who's giving them love and feedback, or I just joined um, Black Girls Teach with, with Deidre. Like, that does not take anything from, like, you gotta immerse yourself in the community. I think that's also how you start to get some of these opportunities. Is like, you can't be in, come in from the outside and think that you get to like, just jump to the front of the line. Just be believing, like, paying your dues. I also think you have to understand like, what's within your control. Like, so, okay, no, I'm not asked to speak at this conference this time around, fine. But there is nothing that stops me from getting on live and dropping a few gems so that people can start to see, oh, she, oh, I would, you know what? I thought I caught Erin's live a month ago. It was good. Let me see if she's available to do this conference. Like you have to do the work, you know, like, and fine. And you don't have to wait for somebody to invite you to do something. That's one beautiful thing about social media is I don't have to wait for anybody to invite me to do anything. I can just do it, you know? Um, and I think that's part of it is like not waiting for somebody else to give you an opportunity to do something like that's literally not a thing anymore, you know? Um, and I also think too, it's like thinking about like, 
I think also I think branding matters too because mm. what makes you stand out from the next person? Why why do I want Aaron to come to the conference versus Jessica? You know, like what 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 is Aaron's value add that's going to be different than this person? Um, but a lot of it is you just got to put your head down and do the grind. Like when I first started with this whole thing, I had like 140 followers because I wasn't really on Instagram like that. And I just was like, I'm going to just share what I do every day. Like this is, yes, this is a consulting business, but this is what I do every day as a job is coach and develop leaders. So I'm just going to do that and show it. Um, So, I mean, it's really easy to get caught up in that, but I also, you have to realize too, like building a business takes time and any real entrepreneur knows that. Like They'll tell you, like, if you have family who's done any sort of entrepreneurial business, they'll tell you, like, and most of them have been through, like, three and four businesses. Like, it takes time. Like, everything doesn't grow at a super fast pace. I think social media teaches us that people just, like, hit a lick and they're, you know, they, you know, they, they're, they blew up overnight. They went viral. They did this and all. That's not reality really for a lot of us. So you just have to keep the grind going and you have to just set yourself small, you know, goals for the things that you want to do. And like I said, like I kept being consistent and then the the stuff started coming in. Hey, and also you have to be cool with doing some free stuff in the beginning. Not heavy lift stuff, but like if someone's like, hey, can you come to this conference and there's no pay and you're just starting, go ahead and talk because you're going to get the followers, you're going to get the business, you don't know who, you know, there could be a superintendent in the audience who loves what you have to say, like, you don't know who's going to be there. So you have to be okay with doing some stuff in the beginning, like just like freebie type stuff, give a free resource out, like, you got to do some of the stuff so that people get to see who you are and what you're about, before you just like, think you you should be the the, uh, keynote speaker today. (laughs) I, I I hear you. I hear you on that. I hear you on that. I I got. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the free that that gets you know that gets me like you gotta I'm going to stop. You have yeah. to know when to stop now. Yeah, now, yeah. now I'm at the point where I'm like, ah, you know, like what's how much is it going of my time is this going to take? You have to know when to stop. But in the beginning, I definitely did a couple speaking engagements that were for free because. I'm new to this. And I also, also for me, while I wasn't getting paid, I saw the value and I need to practice Mm. being comfortable in this space. So let me go ahead and do the free Zoom content for the night, you know, or do this or do that. Now, PD, I was not doing no free PD, but if you would like, you know, me to come talk to you in the beginning, yeah, I will do so for free because I need the practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. And then at certain point times, people, you need to understand that the free needs to need to stop or you need to have boundaries with the free. Yep. So like for me, if, you know, like if you were to call me up and say, Hey, I'm doing this online conference. Can you talk about online learning? I got you. Cause you're an individual. If you were an organization and you called me, oh, you're going yeah, yeah, to yeah. give me, you're going to write me a check. Absolutely. Uh, and I actually, you got it. Yeah. Right. So I had an organization call me, hit me up on Twitter, somebody, a representative saying, can you do this session at our conference on podcasting? And I'm going to be honest with you. I, when that email first came, I didn't see any mention of a check. So I, I read it and I kept it moving. And then that person reached out to me again 
And I said, listen, yeah, I saw, okay, I saw it. I said, now, if you want me to do like some sort of panel interview session, I'm good. But if you, he said, no, we want you to do like a full on hands-on. I said, I'm gonna need a check. And, and here's my rate. Yeah, and he was like, well, we don't, we can't pay you. I said, well, I can't do it because that's yeah. more work than me just showing up and you and you asking me about my podcasting journey and give tips to people on this how you set up a podcast. If you want me to actually go through how to create a podcast in detail and talk about tools and tips and all that stuff, I want to check. That's my knowledge. That's my intellectual property. You're going to pay me for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. And he was like, well, we don't have money. I was like, well, hey, thank you. I appreciate the offer. Check me there. Check me out next time. Yeah, they got the offer. I, uh, I can't do nothing for you. Uh, okay. And I know some people, when they heard me talk about stuff like that, in, you know, in the beginning, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, some people were like, well, kind of crazy or you kind of raw dog with it. But I was trying to tell people, it's like, don't get taken advantage of because, you know, you feel good because somebody at this reputable conference or someone at this ed tech company reached out to you and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. They chose me, you know, like Grey's Anatomy, pick me, choose me, right? I, you feel good, but I'm going to tell you if they get paid, then you need to ask yourself, where is my check? Yeah. That's just how yep. I... Side roll. Uh, Aaron, this has been an awesome conversation. I'm very excited to release your episode. This has been awesome. And uh, I I reached out to Deidre to be on my podcast, and I have not had a response uh, from her at all. Well, I'll I'll, I'll nudge her. So we'll see if she's going to come on. I want to talk to her about uh, the Black Girls Teach. Uh, Before we go, what do you say to teachers or how will teachers know if they have that entrepreneurial mindset or the actual fortitude to become an educational consultant? Like, as you know, there's a difference between you saying, I can do this. I want to do this. And the actual putting in the work. Right. And even if you are one of those people who are blessed to where you stumble into it, like a lot of people I've interviewed, even I did, someone just approached me out of the blue and I got my first job without without me even trying. But that first contract, all of a sudden it's like, well, what am I doing next? When When does the next check come in? Right. So it takes, you know, it's one of those things where you go, "Mm, now you got to start working. Now you got to start, as you mentioned, you know, you got to start building that brand so people know who you are. Where when people are thinking, hey, I want to do something on instructional leadership, Aaron Aaron comes to mind and not Mm. someone else. It takes time to do that. Right. So, how does a teacher know if they actually have what it takes to become an educationalist consultant? and launch their own business? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think first it comes from like your why, why, why the same way we talk about as teachers is like, why, why are you in education? Why do you want to be a consultant? Like money can't be the only reason because you're going to burn out with that, right? Because it's just as much work. It's a lot of heart. It's still hard work. So, you know, your why, why do you want to do that? Um, I think is the first thing. Uh, like for me, mine was like, I want to scale my impact for teachers and kids. I want to keep brown, specifically brown and black teachers in this field because our kids need them. And if development helps keep them, then sign me up, you know? Um, so I think that's one. And then I think the other is just really like thinking of your, like your season in life. And like, do you have the grind time? You know, because it's going to be real, you know, trying to work your real job quote unquote, and your side hustle, you know, because it's your side hustle, but you're not going to treat it like a side hustle. It's not going to be, the hours are not side hustle hours, you know? So do you have, is in this season of your life, do you have the time to devote to developing a business? Mm. Um, and are you willing to invest in yourself? You're going to spend money to start a business. That's just the reality of the situation. You're going to spend some money. You know, if it's a podcast, you're going to have to buy some equipment. If it's, you might need a website, you might need a branding coach, you might, you know, uh, software for uh, balancing your books. Like you're going to spend money. So are you willing to invest in yourself and your business? If you're not like, it's not a good time for you to start a business because it's, that's just how it rolls. Um, so I would think, look at your heart. Like, why do you want to do it? Um, because if it's just about money, you can find a way easier way to make some money that doesn't require as much time, you know, <laughs> and hustle and grind. Um, so what your why? And then like, do you have the time and is this the right season for that? Mm. That's how you end the podcast, people. That's how you end it right there. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Uh, you are welcome. I had a great time. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe and share. Though I do like seeing the stars, but can you give me a review and some comments? Because I only am I trying to be found, but I'm trying to get Oprah on the show. And I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Aaron Cotman, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace.